So this morning, we continue our series on building strong families. And I want to remind you that, um, as we talked about last week, in case you weren't here, that that context of family means a lot of things, right? That context of family means your immediate family, the people that you live with and have dinner with every night, but it also means your extended family, your grandma and your aunts and your cousins and the people in your life in that capacity. Also, it could mean your closest friend group. A lot of times we spend more time with our friends than our family because we get to choose them. Uh, it could mean your coworkers who you don't get to choose often but you still have to hang out with, right? So, so these uh, concepts that we're talking about over these next few weeks can mean a lot of things if you put them into just very much where you are. Uh, maybe it's your church family. And so as we're talking about forgiving families this morning, I want you to make sure to think through all areas of your life. So last night, uh, yesterday, Cecily, uh, my eight-year-old, lost a tooth, and so she put her uh, tooth under her pillow, and most recently she has realized that the tooth fairy isn't real, and so, but she still puts it under, and so I put $2 under the pillow, and um, she woke up this morning, and she comes into my room and says, Mom, last time you gave me five, <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Oh, so now she's negotiating the fact, because she knows now it comes from us. She was like, was there not enough? I don't, Papa said that he'll compensate me later and make up the rest. You know, she, she's totally just realizing that these traditions now are shifting in her mind, um, that she can now negotiate it. So we have three daughters. One is eight, one is three, and one is 18, month, 18 months old. And, and we talk about Jesus a lot in our home. And every family does things a little different, so this is not... Um, advice time. This is just me letting you uh, see a little snapshot into my family. So however you guys do it is fine, uh, the traditions that you have. But in our, ho- our house, um, the traditions often mix Jesus and the kind of mythical creatures that little kids believe in kind of mix together often. And, and they're not even things that Joel and I tell them. They just kind of you know, figure it out. And so, for example, um, for Christmas, Santa brings the gifts, but they're in honor of Jesus's birthday, right? So we're trying to honor Jesus as the center, but Santa still brings the gifts in our house. Um, at Cecily's school, they did the performance Peter Pan. And I remember she came home one day, and the teacher was trying to really uh, get the first graders excited, you know? So the teacher was like, Peter Pan is really going to fly. He's going to fly across the stage. It's going to be so amazing. You guys are going to love it. He's really going to fly. And Cecily came home after school that day, and she said, you know, Mom, they keep saying that Peter Pan's really going to fly. But clearly, we all know Jesus is the only person who can fly. (laughs) And I'm like, right. I mean, get on my level, you know, <laughs> like, like that's actually not going to happen. Uh, last March, um, up, she came home one day and she said, hey, the leprechaun on St. Patrick's Day, if you put out um, a note, they'll bring you chocolate coins. Now, I never did this as a child. That wasn't a, a tradition we had, but I had to make good on this believability, right? Because somebody at school told her this happened. So she writes this note. She puts rainbow fruit loops on a plate. And she puts it outside, and in the morning, chocolate gold coins appear. You know, I'm in Walmart at, like, midnight getting them. But um, so chocolate gold coins appear in, you know, in exchange for cereal. And I asked her, uh, so where do you think the leprechaun gets all these coins to give to all the boys and girls in all the world? And she replies, 
um, he buys them from Jesus. And I'm like, right, I mean, what am I thinking? Of course he buys them from Jesus. You know, just somehow, and I'm thankful that Jesus is so much on the forefront of their minds, but it gets a little mixed up sometimes. But it got me thinking. And I was reading the scripture recently that actually talks about us buying gold from Jesus. And it says this, Revelation 3.18. Jesus speaks to the people of Laodicea and he says, Buy from me gold that has been refined in the fire so you may become rich. And he says this, that, that refined gold, I did a little research this week, refined gold actually isn't like the jewelry you wear. It isn't hard at all. Um, refined gold is soft. It's pliable. And th- I think I have a picture of actually them refining gold, if you've ever looked into this. And so the first step in refining gold is to grind this powder and mix it with a substance called flux. And as they do that, they place it in the furnace, they place it in this super intense heat, and all the impurities are drawn to the surface, and then the gold remains at the bottom because it's heavy and it's, and it's pure. And so it rain, remains at the bottom, and that's how they know that it's gold. And so the dross and the impurities are removed, and it makes it a purer metal. And so it is only when gold is actually mixed with other things that it becomes hard. It becomes less pliable. It becomes something that you can wear on your finger or in a necklace. But it, it, when you do that, it's also more easily susceptible to corrosion. It's, it's um, the higher the percentage of foreign metals that go in it, the harder the gold becomes. So really hard gold has a lot of other stuff in it. And the lower the percentage of foreign metals, the softer and more flexible it is. So Jesus says, he uses this example of something that the people would understand in Revelations 3, and he says this, buy from me gold that has been refined, that soft, pliable gold, the thing that has made sure that it's sifted out all of the other things, and you will become rich. Gold that has not been mixed into anything else, gold that has been placed in intense heat, and all the imperfections and impurities drawn out. And he says, because a pure heart is like pure gold. So I think a lot of times when we read that scripture, we think it's gold, it's valuable, yes. But what he's also saying is a pure heart is soft. It's tender, it's pliable. It's the kind of heart that makes us rich because it isn't hardened by other things in our life. It isn't hardened and added to, which creates us to not be able to hear from him. So what hardens hearts? What hardens gold? What, are, what is the impurities? Well, in Hebrews 3.13, the scripture says that hearts are hardened through sin. That hearts are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And hearts are hardened through offense and through bitterness and through unforgiveness and through anger and through resentment. And so that other metal, the thing that comes into our pure heart and begins to make it hard when it's mixed with all the gold is sin. It's those things that shouldn't be in there. And when that happens, we can't hear from God as easily. Our hearts are not as soft to the Spirit of God. We don't treat people the way that we should, and sometimes we justify it or don't even realize it because our hearts are so hard that we can't even see it. We don't experience the richness of who God is or the richness of life because our hearts become hard. And so we're studying the book of Ruth for this series. 
And in chapter one, um, we see Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, and she is extremely bitter. I want to show you in verse 20, this is what it says. She literally says, don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She is so bitter and frustrated that she wants them to rename her. Just go around and call me bitter, you know, because that is where I'm living in the state of my life. Now, in the 10 years prior to this, Naomi had lost her husband, her children, her security, her possessions, her status, her reputation, and ultimately, she had lost her closeness to God. And we can see that because her heart was hard. It was bitter. It wasn't soft and pliable anymore. And emotional pain that goes untreated can poison even the strongest family, even the most biblical family, even the most, uh, the person the closest you know to Jesus, emotional pain that goes untreated can poison even that. And we can be sure that at some point in our family history, in our friend group, in our small group, in our church, we are going to have to deal with offense. We can be sure of that. Today, for just a few minutes, for the rest of the time I have, I want to talk about forgiveness with our family. So the first is this. Um, Jesus predicts offense. It's so interesting, I think, because often we think that Jesus has this expectation that we all, like, skip along the road in happy merriment, you know, and, like, sing kumbaya together, you know? And, and Jesus, I think he thinks, he looks at us and says, I don't even know why you got that picture, because in Matthew 24, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, not literally, not a literal Mount of Olives, okay? And he is talking, I knew Bert thought that, so I needed to like clarify, um, but just kidding. So he's talking with his disciples, and he's describing the end times to them. And he's saying, this is what he's saying, there's going to be imposters who claim to be the Messiah. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be wars. There's going to be nations that are going to rise up against each other, which sounds a lot like 2016 to me, right? Like these things are happening. And in verse 10, it says, many will turn away from the faith and hate and betray each other. Jesus predicts it. He predicts that believers in families, in churches, in friendships will offend each other so deeply that they will hate each other and they will betray one another. And he says, this is the sign of the end times that we will become an easily offended people. So, in high school, um, I started dating Joel when I was 17, actually, which is just like, you know, two years ago. No, but um, so we started dating then. And um, I'm, we were both from the county. We're actually from the same area. Uh, but his family was kind of the like camping, hunting family, right? Mine was like the fluffy throw pillow, go on vacation in a hotel with running water kind of family. And so we had a little bit of a, you know, we had to figure that out um, even now. But um, we, um, I remember he picked me up one day for a date, and we, he had this beat-up old pickup truck that we never knew would work or not, which is part of the fun of it, I guess. And um, we were driving one night, and we came up on a field, and Joel pulled over. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, I thought maybe he'd get like, a blanket out, and we'd look at the stars. This is PG, people. This is PG. You know, but, or, or maybe you know, he would like, lean over and give me a romantic kiss or whatever. And, and so he does lean over, but he leans over into the glove box, and he pulls out a big light. 
And I'm like, okay. And so then he puts it over on the side of his trees, rolls down the window. And he puts it out the side of his truck, and he makes this noise. I have never heard before. I can't even imitate it to you guys, but it's a deer call, okay? Can you picture what this sounds like? I'm not going to ask you to make the noise. You're probably all good. And so then for the next, like, I don't know, hour, we spotted for deer on our date. Um, has anyone ever been spotting for deer on a date? Oh, my goodness. Sorry. So this is a normal thing that happens. Yikes. So I'm talking with Joel about this, and I'm like, what, what is that noise that you're making? What, you know, and he's like, well, you know, it's very technical. If you ever talk to my husband, <laughs> everything's very technical. Well, um, you make the noise, the deer comes out, you spot them with the light, and then you shoot it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so um, that's what we did. We found out where the deer were so he could go later and shoot them. And so it was the bait. The noise he was making was the bait. It was like the trap that he was setting so that the deer came up. The Greek word for offend is this word scandalon. And originally what that word means is the trap to which the bait was attached. So his deer noise was the scandalon. If you set a mouse trap, the cheese would be the scandalon. It's the thing that you use to trap the creature. So the word offend in the scripture signifies laying a trap in someone's way. And when we allow ourselves to get offended, we walk right into the trap. We eat the cheese. We walk right into the very thing that is set for us to get offended. In Luke 17, Jesus is again talking to his disciples, and he's saying, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. But even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. They're in panic mode. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this can't be possibly true. You're not actually asking me that if the person does the same thing to me seven times in a row in one day, that I'm actually supposed to say, I forgive you. And the scripture is saying, if you're breathing, if you're alive, you will be tempted to be offended on a regular basis. The scandal on is set, the trap is out there, but the disciples, the very people who, who watched Jesus raise people from the dead, heal the blind, they did, he did amazing miracles right before their eyes. When Jesus says, hey, you better forgive people easily and not be offended, they say, increase our faith. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this. They could believe in the miracles that were happening, but they, they realized how difficult it would be, how much faith it will take for you to forgive the people in your life that hurt you, and to forgive the people in your life that hurt you often. Because there are people who are going to wrong you deeply. They're going to hurt you. It is a sign of the times. And it happened in Ruth, it happened in the New Testament, it's probably happening to some of you to this very day, or will later. This will happen, and the occasions to take offense will be endless. So daily, we are given the option to be offended or possess an unoffendable heart. And I really believe that what you do when you're offended will determine your future. What, what you do with your response to an offense will determine the trajectory 
of not just your day or your week, but oftentimes the rest of your life. I brought a prayer for us to pray this morning. It's on the back and the bottom of your insert. We're going to just pray it a couple times together as we go through this this uh, material, but it says this, Jesus, mature us to the place of an unoffendable heart. So, so real quickly, before we go forward, would you put your hand on your heart, kind of like you're saying the Pledge of Allegiance? And let's just, let's just pray this together. You can just, just say it. We don't have to say it all in one, uh, one big swoop. You can just say it out loud, but let's just pray. Jesus, would you mature us to the place of an unoffendable heart? All right, let's keep going. So what makes offense so dangerous? What makes offense so dangerous? Well, if I'm being honest, um, there are some scriptures that I would just like to ignore, right? If we could like literally cut, copy, and paste things out, there are some that make me feel really uncomfortable and some that are really hard to live under the truth, but we can't do that, okay? We can't. We can't remove things from the word of God. But one of those scriptures that makes me feel uncomfortable is Matthew 6:15 because it's so clear and it says this, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's like a mic drop moment, you know? If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. If we don't work through our offenses, our hearts will get hard because the gold, the soft, pliable gold that God gives us, Jesus gives our hearts, will be tainted with offense and we won't be able to hear from him. We stand so strongly on the truth that God is forgiving, that Christ's blood shed for us. We took communion this morning just declaring that my sins are forgiven because my, my life is reconciled to God, that his grace has allowed me to come and, and take communion and, and I can be free and abundant in him. But basically the scripture says that if we don't forgive others, our faith doesn't work. If we don't forgive others, our faith doesn't work because everything that comes from God comes through faith. So we're in trouble without faith. If we want mercy, we have to give mercy. If we want forgiveness and grace, we have to give it. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad. When I look at that scripture and it tells me to forgive someone else seven times, I, yeah, I get a little jiggy about that. But I am so glad that that's the rule for me. I am so glad that God doesn't put a limit on how many times he forgives me because I, I won't make you raise your hand. I don't know about you, but I'm positive I have done the same thing wrong at least 70 times seven. And yet God still forgives me. God still brings me to a place of brokenness and he allows me to have a new start with him. So secondly, what makes offense so dangerous? I, th I think it's this. Offense steals our anointing. Offense steals our anointing. So the word anointing, that, that is God's power. It's, it's the ability resting on us and through us to help us do things easily that otherwise might be hard. It's, it's the things that God gives you specifically to do just for you. And in order for you to accomplish those things, you need God's power. You need God's anointing. Now, now listen carefully. The enemy will attack you constantly because he wants you bound up in bitterness and resentment and offense because then that will shut down your anointing. Shuts it down. 
And if you're not working in the power of God and you're not doing the things that you're supposed to do, then people aren't being reached. People aren't being reached with the message of the gospel. You're not living in peace the way Pastor was talking about. All of these things are happening in you. You're you're having these difficulties in life and it just shuts down the ministry that you're supposed to have. Because you can't be unforgiving and offended and still carry your anointing. You can't have strife in your relationships, in your friendships, in your family, and still have anointing. And here's here's the crazy part. If you're in the place that God wants you, the enemy will try to offend you to get you out. If you are in the place that God wants you, the enemy will try to offend you to get you out. He wants to uproot men and women from the place where God plants them because if he can get you out, then he is successfully shutting down the ministry that you have and the anointing that you have. So if you just quit going to Bible study or quit coming to church or quit giving what God's asking you to give or you quit on a friendship because you're offended, you have taken the bait. You've taken it. You've eaten the cheese, all right? You've taken the bait. You have walked right into the trap that was set for you. But if you will not budge, even in the midst of great conflict, you will spoil the enemy's plans. You'll spoil them. And then your anointing will begin to get stronger and better and more clear. Offense will cloud your purpose and vision. Offense will start making you say, they don't even want me there. They didn't even miss me when I was gone. Sure, they, they can just have that bird. They're not, they're not as good as me at teaching that, but I mean, they could try, you know? Like, offense gets us in all these clouded things. It deteriorates our effectiveness in ministry. And the truth is, if the enemy can get us offended, he can ruin our days and ruin our ministry. All right, so put your hand on your heart again. And, and I want you to pray this with me. And I want you to pray this with me because we need your anointing. We, we need your ministry in this church and in this community and in this, in this world because the enemy is going to try desperately to ruin it. And we need it because God has a plan for our church. God has a plan for this city. And I do not want that offense to steal another minute away from any of our anointings. Not another minute. And so pray this, just pray this for yourself this morning. Jesus, mature us to the place of an unoffendable heart because we need each of your anointing and your ministry. We serve a God who is greater than any offense. I know maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, okay, this is great, Nicole, but like you have no idea what someone has done to me. Like, like, I can't just, like, pray a couple of simple prayers and then it's over and I'm just going to walk out of here whistling. And I, I know that. Some of you have had things you haven't even shared with anyone that are so deep and real and, and they're not going to just get fixed when you come to service one day. But let me tell you this. No matter how great the offense was, no matter how great the offense is or how great the offense is coming, I know this, that God is greater. God is greater. He will bring justice. He will. God is our vindicator. So when we choose to deal with an offense, it is win-win. It's win. It's win-win-win. Win-win-win. It's win-win. I want to bring us to Isaiah 61, verse 7. It says this, Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. 
And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Can you leave it up there for a minute? The portion, the word portion, is reward. It actually means a payback for past hurt. So instead of your shame, my people will receive a double portion. It's kind of like workman's comp. Okay? If you get hurt on the job, you get your wage replaced and your medical benefits. And as long as you work for God, you are on his payroll. As long as you work for God, you are on his payroll. And if you get hurt on the job because you keep loving somebody that isn't loving you back, or you're working in your ministry and someone is is not understanding or respecting what you're trying to do, and you're offended, or you're trying to help your family love Jesus and they're just eating you up and spitting you out, if you get hurt on the job, this scripture says God will pay you back. And not only will he pay you back, but it will be a double portion. He is our vindicator. He is greater than any offense. I just want to bring a few examples to you from the scripture about this. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. Years later, he becomes king during the famine. His brothers come to him, say, hey, we need some food. He has the entire, all of the say, if his brothers get food. His entire family survival is up to him. He could have or should have denied access to the food. Hey, guys, remember when you threw me in a pit a few years ago? (laughs) You know, like, how's this looking now? But instead, he chooses to have an unoffendable heart. Stephen, falsely accused, blaspheming God. He's he's falsely accused of blaspheming God because he's preaching the gospel. He delivers a sermon. He gets stoned. As he is being stoned, he's praying. Jesus, welcome my spirit. Lay no charge on these people. Forgive them. Don't hold this against them. As he's dying, his unoffendable heart is just beating strong. You know, it's like hitting him. He's like, it's okay. I forgive you. You know, like it's happening. He's saying, just let these people understand. Ruth didn't take the bait of bitterness like Naomi did. She repented. She said, I'm not going to let my heart get hard like my mother-in-law. She makes a firm decision to stay and support her mother-in-law. And in that returning, she refused to buy into offense and marries the Boaz, the, the man who, who is um, owning all the fields and, and has blessing in her life. Great men and women of God who are called heroes of faith aren't because they're smarter than everybody or more talented or know all the right people. It's because they had unoffendable hearts. And their hearts were soft before the Lord. And every chance that they had to be offended or unforgiving, they said, I know that God is greater than my offense, and he will be my vindicator. All right, we're going to pray again, but this time I want you to put your hand on someone maybe that you came with. Don't touch anybody you don't know that might weird them out, okay? But somebody maybe that you came with, your friend, put a light hand on their back or their hand, and I want to pray this for your wife or your husband or your child or your mother or your friend or your family. I want you to pray it for someone near you, okay? Ready, Jesus, mature us to the place of an unoffendable heart. You know, we know offense is dangerous. We know we need to deal with it. So, so lastly, the last thing I want to talk about this morning is how do we deal with it? So if, if you're ready to deal with it, how do you deal with it? What do we do when we know we're offended, we know we've been treated wrongly, we know God is our vindicator? How does that practically sort of like walk out? How does that affect our faith? 
Well, I was reading a story, so um, my, the baby still wakes up at night a lot, and so I rock her, and oftentimes I'm looking at the news, you know, like, as I'm rocking her to sleep, seeing what's going on in the world. And um, a few months ago, you've probably um, heard of this terrible uh, tragedy that happened in Orlando, Florida. And there was a, a shooter that walked into a, a nightclub called Pulse, and he started just randomly shooting. And in the end, he massacred 49 people and wounded dozens more. And he left a community in complete fear, a community that's typically known for celebration, a place where people go on vacation years and years, you know, from all over the world, became this community that was fearful, that, that was really broken and in shambles. And so I was reading this article that the next day uh, was a Sunday, and the community just sprang to action, and, and lines of people lined up uh, to give blood um, to help the victims, and, and people were, were, were ready to do whatever they needed to help uh, the, the victims' families, and, and Chick-fil-A is usually closed on Sundays. Most of you know that because you try to go there after here, and you're like, oh, you know. But a few workers figured, you know what? These people waiting in line, they're probably hungry. These people, these people walking around, these rescue workers, they're probably hungry. And so they flipped on the lights, and they started frying some chicken. And, and, they, and they went out, and they, they served sweet tea and nuggets to the law enforcement personnel and the volunteers. And they used all the supplies that they had, and they went out, and they, and they gave it to every person that they could find. And the news crews covering the vent and, and all of these things. Here's a, a picture of the, the um, restaurant that morning. And then when the news crews came up and said, hey, uh, what's, like, do you have a comment about this? They politely declined because they weren't doing it for publicity. They weren't doing it for attention. They weren't doing it to get more business. They were being a faithful steward of what God had provided for them. And they saw a need, and they did what they felt they could, and they filled it. And as I read this article on Fox News, it's like 3 in the morning, and I'm like weeping about chicken nuggets. Okay, this is like how my life goes. Because I started to remember that in 2012, a few years ago, Chick-fil-A was targeted uh, by some bullies after, remember, the CEO made comments about supporting traditional marriage. And, and in fact, in lots of different places, the, the restaurant was picketed. And in New York, um, the mayor said boycott all Chick-fil-A restaurants, simply because the guy had just given a respectful and gentle comment about his belief system for his business. And so they got just totally just uh, completely torn apart by some hateful people when they weren't even trying to say, we don't love, we don't love this community of people. They were just saying, for our business, this is what we're going to support. And they were picketed in all kinds of cities. But I would suspect if you asked the people in Orlando that day, if Chick-fil-A was full of hate, they would strongly disagree with that sentiment. Because they could have remained offended. Pulse was a gay nightclub. They could have remained offended. They could have decided not to serve or give because it was a gay, a gay nightclub and they were accused of hating that people of that orientation. But instead, out of the very issue that they were attacked on, out of the very platform that came under scrutiny, that exact point of accusation, they gave from that juxtaposition. And they saw this opportunity, and they said, you know what? Perfect, perfect. We could remain offended here, but instead, we're going to give. 
And we're going to give in such a way that we don't want credit. We, we, we're not doing this so we can make a statement. We're doing this because this is what Jesus tells us to do. And that is how you deal with an offense. Is you do the very opposite of the thing that you're accused of being offended for. The very thing that God would represent. You know, um, physical growth is, is a function of time, right? You get older, you get bigger. Sometimes you get wider. Okay, you know. Um, Intellectual growth, that's a function of learning. You get smarter. You do math problems faster. Your vocabulary gets bigger, that kind of thing. You know how you measure spiritual growth? It's obedience. Spiritual growth is not measured because, like, you feel the butterflies every week. Actually, you'll probably feel that less as you get more mature in the Lord. Spiritual growth is a function of obedience. And just as Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered, we learn obedience by the difficult things we suffer and how we act in them. God may bring something around to you more than once because he needs you to learn how to be mature and how to obey God and how to act in the way that God is asking in difficult situations. And offenses can build our character if we let God use them. If we decide to not be bitter and to not be angry, and to not let the hardness of sin hard our hearts, God will use suffering as a way to develop us into mature persons. He will refine the gold. He may put our hearts under intense heat until the impurities and the dross come to the top, and then he removes those impurities and he refines us and he's pure. But we should not resist the very thing that God sends to mature us. We should not resist it. And as a believer, if you choose over and over and over and are obedient to not be offended in great adversity, you will be like a tree whose roots are deep and the Spirit of God will provide strength and nourishment to you. And he will draw from the well of God, you will draw from the well of God deep within your spirit, and this will mature you to the point where when offenses comes, when adversity comes, that will just be a catalyst for growth. And you will no longer trip over it, because spiritual growth happens when we are obedient. All right, Luke's going to come here and um, just get us kind of focused. Would you stand? We're going to pray that prayer again in just a minute to close us out today. But I want to finish with this. I want you to know this week that I prayed that today would hurt. <laughs> I prayed that very thing. I said, God, everyone that comes there this Sunday, I pray that they would leave our church feeling a little bit sore. You know how when you work out, and if you, if you're, you, you kind of work out in the morning and, and, or whenever, and then at the end of the day you're a little bit sore, it hurts, but you know it worked, Right? Like, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling a little stronger. They actually say, once you stop being sore, do something heavier, right? Because it's not working anymore. You got to do things so that it makes you a little bit stronger. And I want to tell you this morning that if you don't do anything with the word that we talk about, you will become weaker because you only get stronger or weaker. There's no kind of staying in between. But if you do the work this week, your spirit will get stronger. It might hurt a little bit. It might hurt your own pride to go say you're sorry. It might hurt your own ego to ask the Lord, who is it that you've offended? It might be a really uncomfortable conversation. Don't do it over Facebook, just advice. 
It might be something that opens up a can of worms. And then that person says, well, the reason I'm offended about this is because of this, 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 this. And then you go to bed that night and that doesn't feel so great. But, but let me tell you this, this message, the word of God, now that you've heard it, it requires action because the word of God only transforms us if we apply it to our personal context. Now that you know it, you're accountable to it. And you must take it into your life and say, who is it that I'm holding offense against? Who is it that I need to forgive? And don't ignore the Holy Spirit even now as he's bringing people to mind. Maybe people you haven't thought about in a long time. I don't know about you, but I'm a runner. I'm a runner from conflict. So if something happens as far away as I can get from it, so I don't have to think about it anymore. But that person is still offended or I'm still offended by it. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit even now as he's bringing revelation to you even now as maybe it's hurting a little bit. You should go have a really good lunch today because you're just not feeling warm and fuzzy right now, and that's okay. But this idea that the Spirit of God is going to to begin to to pull out that dross and those impurities and the gold's gonna be at the end and you are gonna be more mature and stronger in your faith because you got yourself a little bit sore from working on the things that God has begun to reveal to you. So close your eyes with me. Let's pray this together just one more time. Jesus, would you mature us to the place of an unoffendable heart? I'm just gonna pray, God, I pray that you won't stop until it hurts. And not the bad kind of hurt, God, but the good kind, the kind that reminds us that we're working, that the Spirit of God is working in our lives, the hurt that reminds us that we are getting stronger, the soreness that indicates spiritual growth. God, I pray this week that we could do the work of the Spirit. God, that we would begin forgiving people so that we can be forgiven, so that our anointing isn't stolen away, and God, we can begin again to give and pray and worship and, and, and teach and, and, and preach and do all the things that you're asking us to do and serve, God, because we're no longer offended. And God, I pray that you would remind us how often you have forgiven us. And God, in that, we would find the strength to be able to forgive others and that we would be obedient so that we become more mature more mature believers in you. God, you're so faithful and we thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray, amen.